we need to start preparing people that you're not going to have one patient, two patients, four patients. You may have a hundred patients that you need to look after. And how are we going to ensure that they're prepared for that and they've got the right skill set? Welcome to War Dogs, the military medicine podcast. This show brings you a firsthand, behind-the-scenes look into the mission, unique opportunities, and deployed experiences of the entire military healthcare team. From state-of-the-art hospitals in the United States to the most austere environments across the globe, War Docs has you covered. War Docs partnered with the Defense Strategies Institute and had the opportunity to interview several key and influential leaders at the 2023 Operational Medicine Symposium. We discussed the current operational environment and what military medicine is currently doing to improve warfighter health, strength, and survivability, and what needs to happen to prepare for the future. In this episode, you'll learn about the latest innovations and opportunities to advance the practice of medicine in expeditionary environments. Today, we're talking to retired Army Colonel, Kim Beaver. Kim, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I'm a retired Army nurse. I spent 31 years in the Army, and I'm a critical care nurse, nurse practitioner, clinical nurse specialist, jack of all trades, master of none. I have really loved the military. It's been such a wonderful experience, whether it's been living overseas, three deployments, fixing things in the hospitals as you go along, trying to leave things better than you found them. And so uh, it's been an absolutely wonderful experience. So what brings you to an operational medicine symposium? So I'm here on behalf of Thornhill Medical. I have a contract with them to talk about oxygen. It was an important topic that needed to be talked about as we look at future LISCO operations and what it is that we need to anticipate. And it's not something that we often talk about because as nurses, as doctors, as medics, it's something that we assume is gonna be there. And what we found out during the pandemic is it may be a problem and we may have a scarcity of oxygen. So as we look to future environments with LISCO, multi-domain operations, whether we're on the battlefield itself or trying to work across oceans, we need to figure out how we're gonna have that capability, where we need it, when we need it. So you've been able to be part of the meeting today. Have you seen anything interesting that, that kind of sparked your interest? So there's many things that are interesting here. I like that we're talking about lessons learned because I think that that's something that we often will say, but we don't necessarily do things with. And so there's a lot of talk today about World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Korea. And as we talk about this large scale combat operation, we're gonna have to look back to things that were done in the past because we've gotten very comfortable operations over the last 20 years. I, I'm gonna use that term because it, for the most part, people were working in fixed facilities and oftentimes we had the resources that we needed. We had air superiority. If we needed to get resources somewhere, we could get them. And I don't think we're gonna see that. And I think we're gonna have to really prepare people. I've thought about this a lot over the last several months on how we prepared people to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. And so many people came back hurt, morally, 
and mentally because they didn't feel like they were able to do enough and they weren't prepared for what they were gonna see. And our casualty loads were a lot less than what we're expected to see in the future. So that's been one of the really interesting things I think that I'm taking away from this is that we're talking about large numbers of casualties and we're going to have to prepare for that. One quote that I always use is from Aldous Huxley. He said, the one lesson of history is that man doesn't learn the lessons of history. And you just hate to repeat things over and over. And so you're right. We went from a counterinsurgency in Iraq and Afghanistan that probably is going to look a lot different from what we're going to see in the future. So how are we training and innovating to make things easier for those medical professionals that go out there on the battlefield? Well, I think we're doing several things. One, I think that we're trying to bring the training that's needed to the right level of provider. Because one of the things that I think we expect people to do is just, you, you should just know, you should know what you're supposed to do. But if we don't train them to do it, how are they supposed to know how to do it? And that's been one of the things that I think we've done well with, I'll use our flight paramedic program as an example. I talked to a lot of young medics when I was downrange working with the joint trauma system. And as we would go around teaching clinical practice guidelines and working on our performance improvement projects, you know, you would interact with the medics and oftentimes they would ask questions that were somewhat disturbing because you wanted them to be really, really good at what they were doing and to have all of the knowledge that they needed and they didn't necessarily have it. And so one of the things that I think we've done really well is go, we probably weren't training them to the right level for what we were asking them to do. So we created training that now prepares them to do what we're asking them to do. I think that moving forward, we're really gonna need to look at, do we have the right training in place for the right levels of providers? As we talk about prolonged care, it may be a medic by themselves, it may be a medic and a nurse, that are taking care of large numbers of patients. We don't do that anymore. I mean, I know as a second lieutenant, I would be the only RN on a ward with 42 patients. We don't do that kind of stuff. We don't leave one person with 42 patients, but we need to start preparing people that you're not gonna have one patient, two patients, four patients. You may have 100 patients that you need to look after. And how are we going to ensure that they're prepared for that and they've got the right skill set? How do we sustain that? Is it always in the training environment or is it also in real patient care that they're doing day to day? Are those skills that translate into operational medicine type skills? I think that there's time management skills that we can teach. And we also need to relieve the burden of what it is that we ask each person to do because oftentimes we're asking them to manage seven pieces of equipment and how do they manage those seven pieces of equipment on one person, much less 40 people? How do we relieve that burden on them? Can we give them one piece of equipment that does a whole lot of things and then you take a step back and they have a, something that they hold that they can see all the patients on? 
Is there something like that out there? Are there things that we can do where our machines take care of some of it for us that we're not asking them to do that? Or is there something that we can do to make sure that they're as efficient as possible in what we're asking them to do, that it doesn't take 20 steps to do things, it only takes two. You only have to hook this to this and you're done. You don't have to hook it to seven things to get it to get it done. I think that we need to look at some time to task kind of things and how do we relieve some of that? How can we innovate so that we relieve some of that time that it takes to do the things that we're asking them to do because they're not going to be able to do it for that many people. And then teach them, teach them how to do that time management and make sure that they know. And we could do that in our hospital environments. We probably don't have the scales of patients. When we learned that with, with COVID, people were not used to taking care of near the numbers of patients that we were asking them to take care of. But I think that we can put stressful environments in place to allow them to at least practice it. Because it's really important to train as you fight. And you're not going to be necessarily fighting on Ward 25 in a nice hospital with every single ancillary service. That's right. probably unrealistic. Well, and that's, that's just it. Like, even as a critical care nurse, I learned how to take care of a ventilator. But did I really take care of the ventilator in the critical care environment? No, the RT came and did it. And they got mad at you if you touched it, you know? So teaching folks how to do the things that we're going to ask them to do, I think is going to be extremely important. And unfortunately, we can't, fortunately and unfortunately, I'll put it that way, we can't recreate large mass cow situations all the time for people to train on. But what we can do is put them in environments where they're working with the people that they need to work with, where they're working with the types of patients they need to work with, and ensure that they get those opportunities to rotate through so that they're not completely losing their skills. And then we put them into an environment where they're not prepared. So your background is nurse corps officer. Yes. What role do nurse corps officers play in operational medicine? What kind of roles are there for nurses? So there's numerous roles. Nurses can work in all kinds of environments throughout the hospital, whether it's in the emergency room, on the ward, in the critical care areas, in the OR, in the PACU to recover patients. But nurses can also be flight nurses. They'll, they can be on the helicopters out at the point of injury, getting patients from the battlefield, taking them and moving them from one place to the next. They can be the commander. They can command the hospital units and run the entire organization. So there's lots of different opportunities for nurses downrange. We have our public health nurses that help us with managing the population that we have when we're deployed. And they really play an important role on the team in holding the team together often. Like oftentimes they're the leaders that hold the team together because those patients are in the hospital really for a lot of nursing care. And so what they do is extremely important. So you've held multiple leadership roles in your career and, and recently you retired and one of your last jobs was the commander of Brook Army Medical Center. Yes. So big, big job. Big job. Was there anything that you learned later in your career in leadership positions that you wish you would have known earlier in your career? I will say that probably the most important thing that I learned later on, and you know, I have always said I'm a work in progress. 
and I'm continuously learning from every experience that I have. But one of the things that I learned a little later on was just the treatment of people and how you treat the people that you work with. And one of the things I used to always talk about when I was in command, both at Fort Leonard Wood and at Bamsey, was kindness. The kindness that you can provide to people and just taking, taking a short breath before you speak so that you don't offend people right off the bat and give it a chance to work itself out and find out how you can get to guess or at least a compromise that both people can live with, I think is extremely important. And I'll say it took me a little while to learn that. I was very much like, nope, this is what we gotta get done and we gotta get it done now. And just taking a little time to be kind to people is something that I wish I would have known. And I probably knew it and just didn't employ it but something that I wished I would have known throughout my career. Because when we start talking about what we're asking people to do and the hours that we ask them to work and the burdens that they take on when they take care of people that can't take care of themselves, if you're kind to them, they're gonna be kind to their patients. And if you- It's kind of contagious. It is. It's totally contagious. And so it's just one of those things that if you ask, if you ask yourself, what can I do to make this person stay better? Sometimes it's just a kind word because they're just kind of having a, a yucky day and they just want to know that somebody cares about them while they're trying to care for others. Yeah, it's amazing that, that solutions don't always have to be complicated. No. Right? They don't. So we both had the opportunity to hang up our uniform after a long career. So let's say a young nurse or somebody who's thinking about nursing in the military comes to you and says, what do you think? Should I do it? And why should I do it? What would you say? So nursing is awesome, one. It's, it is the most wonderful career. When I started college, I, I actually wanted to be a doctor. I was pre-med for three years. And one day my ROTC instructor said, how do you plan to pay for medical school? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't have a clue. And he said, well, there's a huge shortage of nurses. Have you ever thought about nursing? And I was like, nope. And he said, well, we can help you finish college and pay for nursing school if you want to do that. And I was like, hmm, let me think about it. So I changed my degree to nursing. And one of the things that I have always loved about nursing, and one of the things that I always tell young nurses is, there is a niche for everybody in nursing. You can find something to do that you absolutely love. When I was a second lieutenant, it was all about going to anesthesia school. I was gonna be a nurse anesthetist, that was my, I drove my head nurse crazy because your path to head nurse, to anesthesia school was ICU and you had to go to the course. So every day I'm like, can I go to the course? Can I go to the course? Can I go to the course? And finally one day she's like, apply, please. <laughs> but I got to the critical care environment and I loved it. I, didn't, I never applied for anesthesia school because I loved being a critical care nurse. But there's people that love being mother baby nurses. Not for me, I don't like it. I can't, I, not my environment. But you can find something. But you can find something to do in nursing. You know, if you love computers, there's nursing informatics. If you love administration, there's nursing administration. If you love to teach, you can teach. And it's just, it's so 
wonderful to be part of something where you're constantly helping other people. And you have the opportunity each day as a nurse to make somebody else's day better. And I can't imagine doing anything else. I'm so thankful that nursing found its way to me and I found my way to nursing. But young nurses, um, if they're talking about nursing or they're already a nurse and they're not sure what they want to do, you can find your passion in nursing because there is something for everybody. We've been speaking with retired Army Colonel Kimberly Beaver on OpMed TV in conjunction with Wardock's podcast. Kim, thanks so much for your time. Good talking to you too. Thank you for listening to Wardocs. We sure hope you enjoyed it. Wardocs is a nonprofit organization supported by donations from listeners like you. Please follow and subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcasts and rate and review this episode and share the show with your contacts on social media. Find out more information about our show, our guests, and how to become a member of Team Wardocs on wardocspodcast.com. Thank you for your support. If you like war stories and medical drama, Wardocs has you covered. Spread the word.